Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And before we get started, I just, you know, I understand that last week, one of you, <laughs> and I think one of you knows who you are, threw some shade. And I just want you to know that my people, my loyal listeners, reached out to me via DMs, some text oh, we're going to have to see to be these like, before I believe any of this. <laughs> you know, Zach said that it was a nice and calm episode. <laughs> and I just want you to know, Zach, that when you're not on the podcast anymore, I'm not saying that could be anytime <laughs> soon. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say that it's better that you're not okay. here. Uh-huh. You know, so I just, you know, I don't think that it was nice or calm. I thought you guys did a nice episode. It was good, but I wouldn't I, say I don't think calmer. I want to be very clear. I want to be very clear. Calm is only a positive occasionally. I don't want us to have a calm podcast. Mm, it, no, I, it, 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 I have a, a three-year-old, and I'll tell you, calm is a nice break, but if it was always calm, oh, so I'd say what's wrong. you a nice wrong. break from me? You had a nice break. <laughs> Like yeah, that is what I'm that. saying. Yes, and I'm sure you will appreciate a break from me when I'm dealing with child number two. Oh, oh are you going to take like... Like a long break? Can we have a break? <laughs> <laughs> We will see. I don't know. I might just I might just do the I might just do the podcast with the babe in arms. We'll we'll find out. <laughs> oh no, it was gosh. it was. It, I will say, you know, they're like a good cocktail, right? It needs th- at least three ingredients. So mm-hmm. you know, we got by we got by one. One week with our two ingredient cocktail, but it's always good, best to have. Y'all three. did a good job. Y'all Thank did a good you. Job. It was an interesting episode. So, Joanna, what have you been drinking? Well, so after that episode, I I promptly went out and got some rum and made myself a daiquiri. Nice. Ah, mm-hmm. very I nice. had to go buy rum. This is how <laughs> little rum I drink, which actually made me think that it was a perfect drink to get me out of my comfort zone. So, I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I need more specifics. What what rum did you use? Okay, so I got some Plantation Three Star Rum, okay, which was good. Um, and you know, I, I thought it was a good beginner beginner's rum for a daiquiri, especially. It's the best for a daiquiri. Oh, great! Well, I feel very good about the decision then. And then I also I also got some Kasama rum. I didn't use it in the daiquiri, but that was that is some rum from the Philippines. That's also very delicious that I tried this that weekend. That amazing, yeah. So I have a question. Yeah, you like, did an interview with the, right, with the founder. Right, Alexander. Adam. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the best. So yeah, I, have a, I, have a, I have a question, though. Didn't Plantation say they were changing their name and then it just never happened? I feel like we heard that last summer. They were going to, like, change the name. Zach, do you remember that? And then... Yeah, it's there was like, a thing about Is it. that going to happen? Like, is it not going to happen? Like, are we just... We should follow up cool. about that. <laughs> I know. I'm just very curious. Like I, f- I felt like every time I, you know, I love that rum, but every time I sort of like think about it's it, a little like, oh, uncomfortable. Right? A big announcement that they were going to like yeah. change it from the name Plantation for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. and I think <laughs> it just has not been changed. So, yo, we're paying attention. Change the name. <laughs> Zach, what about you? Well, like Joanna, I decided to kind of go ahead and follow up on my. Uh, you know, expand going outside of my comfort zones, or, or in my case, maybe more going to something that I used to drink and and don't really drink anymore, which is like a very, to me, very classic West Coast IPA. In this case, the Inner Urban IPA from Fremont Brewing here in Seattle, which is like Fremont makes a ton of different beers, a lot of different IPAs, and in a whole range of styles. But I think of that as being one of the kind of very classic hop forward, but but you know, quite bitter styles. Mm-hmm. And it was good. I mean. I think at the same time, I mean, like, 
it was it was one of those beers where to me and, and this happens in drinks and I'm sure it happens to to both of you things where you can simultaneously feel like this is a well made example of a thing that I also just like don't care for all that much and that's kind of how it was like I'm glad I tried it it's always good to kind of revisit and remember like how these styles work but like other things in the world like uh, like another category for me in in beverage alcohol that i'm not like a huge fan of is like i'm not going to drink much new zealand sauvignon blanc like nothing against new zealand beautiful country like a lot of other wines from there but like the classically styled new zealand sauvignon blanc just isn't the kind of wine i love Mm -hmm. and similarly this isn't the kind of beer i love and so i can say you know kind of simultaneously well made and not for me um but it was good to to, it was good to like it was good to kind of like affirm that so what about nice. you, Adam? You what did you have on your travels? So, I mean, I will obviously we're going to talk a little bit about about well, a lot about Napa on this episode. So, I won't talk about those wines, but um, I got to have some really delicious things. First, uh, I mean, I, we, they, they're not a sponsor, but I did have Tip Top <laughs> on yes. um, on the plane. <laughs> Delta, I guess they're like the official cocktail of Delta now, they and are. It, was, it was super interesting talking to the flight attendants, and they were t- on both both legs. On the way there and the way back, just tell me like they can't keep it in the beverage cart. Like it's I just people love it. Um, and it's just like, yeah, man, this is, I mean, this is what RTDs are for. You know, this mm-hmm. is what makes them awesome is like, I had a really delicious margarita and also a really dish, delicious old fashioned on my travels. And I've, I could not say that in the past when I've flown any airline. Right. So that yeah, unless cool. you were bringing your own simple syrup and you know, <laughs> orange and shit on board. Exactly. <laughs> Which may, maybe you would have done. I don't know. But most people are not going to do that. No. But didn't so, a lot of people do that recently? Like, they've been doing that recently? <laughs> I mean, there used to be, you know, there used to be like those cocktail kits and stuff. I don't know anyone that ever used them. They're always like a fun gift. I think people, like, you know, it would, it would wind up, you know, in a holiday or something. And then they went like, right oh. next to your whiskey stones. Yeah. People would be like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they went right next to your whiskey stones. That's pretty true. Um, but now I think, you know, with, with the just growing popularity of these, these really well-made RTDs that we're just going to see it be a thing. What more a smart and more and more. partnership. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, Delta loves it because tip top's an Atlanta company and they're an Atlanta company. So it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think we'll see it more on other airlines. Um, and then, you know, so I'm embarrassed to say this, but I had my first ever Pliny the Elder on draft. Oh, um, which, you, know, you don't see it that much here, I guess. You only see it in bottle. And that was cool. I had that at Gott's Roadside, which is also like just the spot. I mean, it's freaking delicious. Yep. Um, and then I got to go to one of our favorite, one of Vimper's favorite wine or winemakers, uh, Kathleen Inman mm-hmm. in Sonoma. That was really great. She actually wasn't there. She's in England, but I got to meet her brother-in-law, Stephen, okay. uh, <laughs> have a taste and see the property. And it was really cool. Got to go to some really some other really cool places like uh, the Monterosso Vineyard, which was super cool. Mm. Uh, yep. Some might say it's like a Grand Cru Vineyard. Um, I know we've <laughs> joked about that in terms of like those projects. You know, but, yeah, go back. Since we're talking about previous episodes, you can listen to my inter- interview with uh, Brene Royal, who was the, manages the vineyard there. Super, She's super, super cool. interesting. Yeah. I mean, I love her, but I just, I want to be honest that I really love her dog, Violet. And oh. uh, if Violet was available, uh, I would have stolen Violet. <laughs> um, she's like the most, like fr- the friendliest black lab I've ever met in my life. And um, it was like a highlight of my trip. Uh, and, then, <laughs> you know, some just some other really, you know, tasty things. Uh, far too many to mention, but got to go to, you know, Jay Vineyards, got to go to um, like 
do some fun tastings at some other places. I'm not going to talk about, again, the Napa places just because I think that's something for the rest of this conversation. Um, but then got to go to Raft. We've written about them before. Um, or her specifically, Jen, uh, and taste at like this facility that was, you know, that's not just um, not just Raft, but a few other really great wineries as well. Does she have another wine label out now too, she right? She just started another one called Little Trouble. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's another one that she's she's up to uh, with with her best friend uh, Emma Morgenstern, I believe is the name. I don't I'm, I'm like feel bad. Or Sarah, maybe Sarah Morgan. Sarah Morgan. Sarah Morgenstern. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that I got the name wrong. I really apologize. I, I'm not. That's not my. That wasn't my intention. <laughs> but yeah, I, just like you know, some some really cool stuff, which was a lot of fun, um, and it was good to be out there. It was definitely more work than uh, than sort of travel, but, or, or vacation, but Naomi got to come with me, which was great. Nice. And she got a vacation. So that's always good. There you go. Um, but I did also notice some things while I was out there that sort of sparked this conversation, you know, the, the idea for today's conversation. And the biggest thing I noticed, uh, was the massive labor issue that Napa specifically is having and has been having. And, um, you know, it started, cause, you know, creating a lot of questions in my mind about sort of what the future for Napa is. Um, and look, there's been issues in Napa prior to COVID and prior to the wildfires, but they're, both of these issues are making it worse. And there's a lot of issues around housing, around, you know, the types of jobs that are available, um, et cetera. But, you know, housing especially is, is really a huge issue there. Um, it's, I think this is a region that because of its popularity and its luxury status has become a place that to me feels like even more than, you know, five, 10 years ago, if you're not a one percenter, you can't be here. Um, and I don't mean you can't visit. I think you can still visit, right? I, I'm not a one percenter and I visited and had a you know very nice time, but I, you cannot live there. It is, you know, when, when people like, when celebrities and, you know, the Speaker of the House have their home, you know, their vacation homes here, uh, it becomes a very expensive place for anyone else to live. You know, and I, I heard that again and again and again. There were no Ubers available. Right. Like Naomi and I launched Uber and Lyft both multiple times throughout the trip. Um, and we couldn't find any. When we would ask people, they would say, oh, that's because, you know, people who drive for Uber and Lyft can't afford to live in the Napa Valley. Whereas when we were in Sonoma, there were tons of Ubers and Lyfts. Right. So, you know, so that was interesting. You know, you don't see as many, um, you know, the staffing issues with the restaurants are, is, is more apparent than ever before. Right. I mean, take the problems that like New York or Seattle is having and multiply them times a thousand. You know, yeah. you had what restaurants we went to in Napa, you had one person on the floor doing everything. Right. And like that was, it was like Naomi and I were saying, it was crazy that you could actually see it. I mean, we were talking um, to uh, George, who's the head of the Chateau Montalena estate. He was telling us that like, Right now, just in Calistoga, right, you have three really fancy hotels. You have the Four Seasons, which is about to open, the Solage, and Indian River. Each of those facilities have 60 to 100 vacant openings, mm. right? They, they just – and 
And when you look at that, you're like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense because where would the people who would do the jobs they're trying to, you know, fill live? live. Yeah. And so what that also has caused me to think about is what does that do for innovation? Because mm -hmm. we talk a lot about how like, you know, what in, in this country about how innovation comes from, you know, people being able to take chances, to take risks and from lots of different people who think differently. And I use different a lot of times in that sentence, uh, <laughs> being together. And when only one socioeconomic class is able to be a Napa to work, what, do, you know, where is the really crazy stuff going to happen? You know, and if, if you are going to take the risk, you kind of have to be super safe because you have to know it's definitely going to work. So I don't know if you're going to get these restaurants that really push the envelope and that are genre bending and feel exciting to eat at in Napa. I'm not saying the food wasn't good, but nothing felt exciting. Sure. Whereas I went to places in Sonoma that felt exciting. But see here, Adam, I want to ask you a question yeah. about this, because I think this is an important thing to, to mention. Do you really think deep down that most of the people currently in Napa and in the wine industry, in the food industry, I don't think they want innovation particularly. I don't think they want to take chances. I mean, I think there is such a, a sense, and I've had this when I'm there too, of like more of the same, more of the same, more of what works. And and that what the appeal from the outside of going to visit that, not for us, not for people in the industry, but for yeah. but for the person who plans a, a their vacation around a trip to Napa, they want you know, they want this, not necessarily maybe the same experience they had before, but they want to know, right? They want the the luxury hotel. They want the, you know, the, ex, you know, elaborate me meal that may not be, you know, innovative, but might be, you know, fancy in a sort of established mm -hmm. way. And that like, this is what happens in, this is, is this sort of a, a it's a, you know, it's a reinforcing trend, right? You, you said it, and I think you're right, that you crowd out space for innovation and, and for people to take chances. But I also think so many things about the, just the economics of Napa in so many ways are now we're, we're past that point. Like, I don't think there's any way to go backwards because, you know, I I've been astonished, not like in a bad way, just in a, in a way that you sometimes look at something and you go, wow. And, and one of the ones for me was a, a place in Napa that was, you know, this very, very, very high end, you know, place to stay. I think it had like a maximum capacity of like 15 guests at a time. And there must be 75 people working there. And like, or I mean, you know, there were at the time, this was yeah. pre-pandemic. And like, okay, fine. But like, if that's the only kind of places that people can stay and you're, and, and, you know, the restaurants are the same, the wineries are the same, you know, the viticulture and, and the, the winemaking require lots and lots of hands and lots of people doing stuff you're you're not only going to create a situation where you have this incredible housing shortage and labor issues but also just like no one really wants to do anything different right they don't want to rock the boat because because the costs are high and like you know there's also this enforced sense in Napa I think a lot of ways of like you know that you look at the valley you go visit and you know it has this kind of agricultural pastoral splendor to it but it just doesn't really align when you think about the kind of, you know, the, yeah, the, the, the vast amount of money there, the vast amount at stake there and the number of people who have to make their living or, 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 or wanted to make their living in the Valley. It's like, where are the apartment buildings? They don't exist. Yeah, that's, They're nowhere. <laughs> that's, that's I have a question that's though. Like, won't, won't things now as the landscape there changes and continues to change, like won't things ha have to happen? 
have to change? Like, won't they have to innovate because the way of doing things like won't be possible anymore? I want to think so. And I think, and I think, you know, sort of Zach, to take your point really quickly, like, I guess what I'm trying to say, and maybe it wasn't super clear is I think the luxury side, maybe that's not what I'm talking about as much of innovation as sort of what, you know, we're saying in terms of just interesting, different kinds of restaurants and things, but even on the luxury side, right? Are you willing to pay those prices if they, if your room doesn't get made up every morning, right? Because there's no staff to make up the room. I mean, so we stayed at a new hotel called the Calistoga Motor Lodge, which I loved. It was super cool. Again, it's around these trends we talked about before, Mm -hmm. like taking old motels and uh, making them sort of hipster. But, you know, and it was on the lower end price-wise for Napa. It was still not, I mean, it was still not cheap. Um, But there were two people working at the property and the property had 50 something rooms. That's insane. And I was just talking to them asking, you know, and they were saying, oh yeah, like we have, you know, 15 vacancies. Uh, for, for positions, right? So, you know, I mean, I'm not complaining here at all, but like our room didn't get made up at all, you know, and that's fine. I mean, I'm, I don't care. I don't think I'm that big of a slob. So, you know, Naomi and I were, we're fine with it, mm-hmm. but like, you know, you think, well, d- what, what happens if that starts happening at the four seasons or at the Solage where like the people who come in to buy those hundred dollar plus wines want to stay? Like if they're not getting the service, they also expect from a premium region, will they start going elsewhere? And the issue boils down to housing. Like, there, yeah, I didn't see any apartment buildings. No, they don't exist. At all. Or if you see them, yeah, or if you see them, they're like on the edge of, basically on the edge of the valley, really far out, which then again is a bitch to get into the valley. So I don't know. Like, I feel like, yeah, Joanna, you're, the innovation almost, maybe the innovation has to come first from like, how do they solve this problem? And I don't really know. <laughs> well, I just think it's a really good point because like you said, like visitors are still going. Yeah. It's extremely popular. Like there are lines still to get into some of these places, but underneath, like things are not very good. <laughs> I mean, there are issues obviously with fires and drought and um, insurance as well. But, but I think the labor part is something, I, you know, I, I think it's curious that you were talking to people there about it. And I was wondering if, if you were asking or if people were just kind of offering that information to you, Adam. It's it's hard for me to think about, you know, how, how Napa solves this issue because as you said, people really do want to go. It's a very popular region, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's, you know, when we pull our readership, it's the number one destination for wine that they want to visit. But, you know, then there's not enough people to service the demand. Like I, um, you know, I went to this, I went to the California Brandy House, which is awesome. I really highly recommend people going there. It was super cool. Um, and it's in downtown Napa. It's the first thing of its kind like that in Napa, right? I mean, they're trying to pour brandy in, you know, <laughs> in the wine region. Um, but it was super cool and it was crowded and people were having a great time. And I was talking to one of the people who works there um, and he had moved from New York and he's a super, you know, he's a brandy obsessive. He was a bartender uh, in New York. He told me that he uh, drives in from Oakland every day. Because he found more affordable housing in Oakland. And he was so passionate about wanting to work there that he's willing to do that. But like, that's crazy to me, you know, like, and I get that we have people that come into New York City all the time from suburbs too, because we are also a city that has gotten incredibly prohibitively expensive. (laughs) Yeah. But like all, all these places got to do something. And so, you know, I just wonder like, what's the solution for Napa? Like one of the things that was proposed to me at a lunch, um, 
by this guy, Jeff Meisel, who used to be at Longmeadow Ranch, um, was, you know, using the Napa wine train. So, you know, using it as almost public transportation in the mornings and the evenings when it's not running with tourists and, you know, having it a situation where at least if you were able to get to the valley, you then didn't have to be in your car driving up and down the valley, right? Like you could. Because, yeah, and this is an important point to note, like for people who haven't been, it's not like there are big freeways running through Napa Valley. Like you've got Highway 29, which is essentially a one lane road in a lot of, through a lot of it. You have the Silverado Trail, same story. Like when it's, when you've got all the tourists and everyone trying to come visit, it can be a 10 mile long traffic jam. And it's, and all, you know, many of the wineries are right off of 29. Like it is not a place that's set up to accept a massive influx of, of people, labor or, or tourists every day during the morning and at outflow at night. Like it's just a mess. And so, yeah, it's not, it, it is unlike New York city or Seattle, even in, in the sense that like, not that it's easy to necessarily get from a suburban, you know, residence to New York, to Manhattan, but there's a lot options. of different ways to yeah. do it as opposed to one road. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And that's part of an issue. But I think the bigger one that I hadn't even thought about, so Joanna, you brought it up, is like, yeah, where are the apartment buildings? <laughs> like, you know, and I get that that would take away from uh, the beauty for mm-hmm. some people, but that's also part of the problem, right? And I get no one – the problem with affordable housing in the entire country is everyone says, I really believe in it, right, but not in my backyard, mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, you know, I know it's a problem. I know we need it, but not on my block. Right. So you can see that, you know, in St. Helena, which I think, I think St. Helena is the wealthiest town. I may be incorrect about this, but I think that that's correct. And you could see how like, yeah, no one in St. Helena wants like a huge apartment building to go up on the block where they spent, you know, a few million dollars on their, on their ranch house, you know, that's like their vacation home. But they also want to, you know, dine at at Gott's and they want to go to, you know, the French laundry and these kinds of things while they are vacationing in Napa. And if there's no staff to work at these places, then the, then the value of your home also decreases, right? Cause like then you can't Airbnb it or you can't resell it. Or, you know, I don't know what the laws of Airbnb are to be fair in Napa. Um, but like, those are all things that then you won't be, you know, you won't be able to do down the road. So I feel like there has to be some issue there. Whereas again, in Sonoma, because of it, because of its size, right? Just sheer size, you have affordable housing in Sonoma. I know that it's also, there's also very, you know, high-end housing, but you can see how someone could afford to live. I think that's the other thing that people don't realize about Napa, Zach uh, and, and Joanna, is how narrow it is. You know, because it's just these, it's this valley between these two mountain ranges, you realize, oh my gosh, I can actually see from one side to the other pretty easily. All you gotta do is go up on go up a little bit on one one of the mountain ranges and you can see the other side. Whereas yeah. Sonoma, again, like you cannot see the water. You can't see the Sonoma from, coast. From much of it, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and that's because it's huge. So that's another well, and, reason I think the valley has the issues. And and you know, Napa Valley, as as mentioned before, has very intentionally crafted laws to greatly uh, limit whatever development is possible. And there are ways in which this has been held up in the wine community as, as a really noble thing, right? You know, it's, mm-hmm. they have, they have limited the growth of vineyards. They have tried to protect the Valley floor as place where grapes are grown and, you know, limiting development to some extent. And I think there's some benefit to that in certain ways, but there is also the very true fact that like nowadays protecting that 
is really about, you know, continuing to protect the already very, very significant wealth of the people who are already there. It's about preserving, you know, seemingly preserving land values. It's about, you know, people who don't really see the issue in, in someone having to come in from Oakland every day for work. You know, they don't really, it's not their problem, right? They're not the one who has to do it. And in fact, they probably are, you know, they think that person is lucky to work in Napa. And I just think that like, Whereas, you know, Sonoma and the many other regions, you know, Sonoma has cities in it. You know, there are there are places yeah. or you know, cities, large yeah. towns or whatever, places where people, you know, that are not just about wine, that people can live and then commute to their job. And, you know, it, not to say that Sonoma is perfect, obviously, but but yeah, I, I just think Napa is such an, you know, in so many ways, in, in all ways, virtually, it's such an outlier of a region. But it also is America's preeminent wine region. It's the one that, yeah, that that's still, you know... F- dominates in many ways. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, that yes, a concerted effort, and, and you would think it would be in the best interests of everyone who's, whose enterprise it revolves around Napa Valley's status as a luxury wine region would be invested in just some investment in uh, keeping it such. And, and that's not just about, you know, making sure that it stays, you know, green and, and um, whatever, but also that there's places for people to live that people are, people make a living wage there, you know, and I'm not saying that this is not happening anywhere. I I just want to be clear, but at some point there is no, you know, what kind of wage is reasonable for someone who has to spend several hours a day commuting? Like I don't, there might be one, but, but it's not probably what they're getting paid. And that isn't, yeah, that's just a, that's a recipe for, for long-term problems along with many of the other ones that the region faces. Well, this is what I wonder, like, and Joanna, I know, you know, you've spent, you know, a majority of your career covering the food world. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering too, if there's like some, some things that have been done there that we could do here. You know, one of the things I'm like, that I, I thought of a lot is, well, couldn't they simply start by saying, look, if you're going to build a new hotel, you have to also build housing. Right. So like this new four seasons that's going in, in Calistoga, like maybe four seasons should have been required to somewhere on their property or, you know, build affordable housing or something like that. Or, you know, some of these big restaurant groups that have, you know, maybe they need to have some sort of busing program where they are running shuttles. Like, you know, like you hear that they do from San Francisco. Yeah. Like, and has that ever happened anywhere else that you can think of Joanna? I don't know. Um, I'm not really sure because I can think of in, in terms of like food in the food world, like I think of places like the, the French Laundry and these other more isolated places. And I've never really explored <clears throat> the housing or labor issues or housing specifically um, around those. I have, haven't really thought of it. I'm sure the same applies for those types of places, though. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is kind of comparable as you see some of these like somewhat remote, like, you know, three-star Michelin restaurants and stuff that have, you know, you go work there and there's also housing provided because it's like, mm-hmm. there's nowhere to live in these remote uh, locations, but that's not really what we're talking about. I mean, there was like, I remember Naomi reminded me of this when we were in that because it was like, it. I mean, it really was so just in your face that about five years ago or so we went to um, Jackson hole mm-hmm. and cause we wanted to do Yellowstone and, um, you know, the Tetons and all that really amazing stuff. And then we went into Jackson Hole for one night and we were talking to people there and they were saying there was a massive housing crisis there at the time. And the super high-end restaurant in Jackson Hole, whose name I cannot remember anymore, closed permanently because they could not afford to have workers because there were none. 
right? So they, and it wasn't that they didn't have people interested in being Psalms, right? Because the Psalm, you know, made more. They couldn't afford dishwashers. They couldn't find dishwashers, right? They couldn't find, and that's where it's going to break down, right? It's not going to break down with the people who often come from, you know, a background of usually having a, you know, a, a college degree, et cetera, who then decide they want to be, you know, beverage directors, captains, that kind of stuff. It's going to come from the people who like, you know, are immigrants and, you know, come from, you know, different backgrounds and are the dishwashers, are the bussers, are the people who clean the restaurants at night. And if you don't have those people, those places will not be able to stay in business and then the region won't have the places that it likes. That's why I was sort of giving an example of like, it's, you know, it's not about not having, you know, probably not having like the, the concierge at the Four Seasons. It's about having the person who cleans the room. Yep. And it's, I don't know. I, I feel like Napa's got to figure it out. Right. And th- I think these conversations are important to try to figure out how the wine industry also figures it out because it is an amazing amazing region that hooks people, some people for the first time on wine, you know, like you go there because you've read about it and you want to do a trip with your friends or it's a romantic weekend or it's a honeymoon, whatever it is, you go to Napa and then you catch the wine bug because you get to go into these tasting rooms and you have these really cool experiences and you, you get to sort of, you know, see wine. I I was at a dinner hearing a dad and like they were celebrating I mean, look, I wish, I mean, I wish my parents had been this cool, but they were like taking their daughter on her 21st birthday to Napa, but we're like at God's roadside and the daughters and the dad are talking about how they've just learned about Verasian. And that's super cool. Cause like they got to be in Napa and walk into a vineyard and see it. And that's what gets people excited about wine. But if the people who support this entire industry can't afford to live there, then we're going to lose one of the best places we have to get more and more people into this incredible liquid because, you know, as much as I like the Finger Lakes or, you know, Zach, you like Walla Walla or Joanna, I'm just going to say you like the North Fork, Um, (laughs) you know, as many people just don't go there, right? They just don't. And it, well, and it doesn't because I think it's two things, and I think you make two really good points, Adam. One is that you know none of those oh places God, I that can't you mentioned you said that I made two good points. Thank you. Oh, I say it I from time to time. You're, you're making up for the you know. I'm also trying. To I be just calm. didn't say it last week. Um, I want everyone to know I'm trying to be calm. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. We appreciate it. Uh, I was going to say that one of them is you know yes, there's this this connotation of of. Um, luxury and quality with Napa that none of those other regions quite match. And I think one of the risks here that you kind of hinted at, but I think want to state clearly is the risk to Napa might not be in wine sales, but it will be in wine tourism, right? Mm -hmm. People still buy the wine, right? They're still going to buy their premium Napa wines. They're just not going to make going to Napa as much of a priority. And for so many of these wineries, and obviously many of the businesses that support them, it's the tourism that that makes the money. It's not the bottle sales. And so that's one huge risk. And then the other one is, you know, you said the sort of fact that people don't, um, you know, don't have that experience in the in the vineyards or at the winery. And that I think is so critical because in the end, you know, a great experience tasting wine at a wine bar or restaurant or friend's house or whatever is one thing, but there is magic in being where the grapes grow and where the wine is made. And Napa more than any place in this country has really captured and, and monetized that magic. And yet it isn't magic. Totally. It's hard work. And it's, it's essential that all of the people who profit on that magic recognize that they have to provide for the people who do the hard work. Totally. 
Well, <sighs> Joanna, Zach, this was another really interesting conversation. I'd be really interested too if people who uh, listen to the podcast have thoughts on sort of how we, you know, how we can deal with this. You know, ideas like if you build a hotel, you have to build ten, you know, affordable houses, or you know, uh, if you are going to do, you know. And people, if, you know, who listen to the podcast too, um, you know, maybe from from Napa, live in Napa, we'd love to hear your thoughts too, because it's, you know, it's an interesting and really challenging problem that we're going to have to solve. And especially as, you know, we're now also having other issues affect that region, like wildfires, you know, it's going to, it's going to get even harder to solve. So I think it's going to have to be something that is really worked on sooner rather than later, um, or it may like a lot of things in this world, like climate change, it may get past the point of no return. And if that happens, then we're going to have some, you know, some sad conversations in the wine industry, because I think we'll wind up losing some really amazing wine drinkers or people who could have become wine drinkers who, you know, fall in love with beer or things like that, because it's just, it's, those are places they're able to travel and, uh, and Napa may not be anymore. Well, Joanna, Zach, I'll talk to you next week. Yes. Thanks guys. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.